No, I'm just trying to imagine. This whole thing started because you asked yourself, what if I can shoot in Gimon public toilet? Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. Every time there's a strange thing, it always happens in the toilet. Like three quarters <laughs> of the time. The second thing, what the has second happened thing to you, that... Sean? <laughs> the views, information, and opinions expressed in this podcast and this YouTube channel are solely the views of the individuals involved. It does not reflect the views of their organizations, employers, and employees, past, present, and future. Uncool is produced by Creators at Work and Story Machine. Before we tell you about this week's uncool thing to do for this month, here is something else that you should check out. This exciting workshop about how to harness the potential of AI and Web3. Covering topics that touch on how to understand and utilize AI tools to building new spaces, new brands, and new worlds, this specially curated workshop dives into the exciting world of AI and Web3 to empower you to push boundaries. It takes place from November 17th to the 19th, so scan this QR code to find out more. For our audio-only listeners, you can search for Empowering Creatives on Eventbrite. Like this show? Then rate it 5 stars and subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uncool is a podcast produced, written, and hosted by Sean Lee Chong and co-hosted by Yenling Lo, co-produced by Raven Lim, and edited by Ray Ng. Uncool. It's cool to be uncool. You know, sometimes on Uncool, we feature an uncool thing to do. And I think as far as uncool things to do goes, right, this really fits the bill, okay? Making a film. Yes, because we all know that making a film is never easy. But when you're charting your own costs, free from the constraints of traditional movie financing, it becomes even harder. In fact, I think it fits the bill of being super uncool. So on this edition of Uncool Things To Do, we'll be speaking to Tsai Hong because he is doing exactly just that. Uh, and what's, what's this film called? We Can Save The World. Okay, I love that title already. I love that title, literally. Yeah, this feels very, very uncool indeed. Yeah, because a lot of people feel that things that are uncool actually turned out to be kind of cool in the end, right? Things that in the past, people didn't like to do. It's like, um, what do you call it? A geek culture. Like, for a long period of time, like, like I was a geek and nobody thought geeks were cool. Uh, but today, you know, geeks run the world. Techies run the world. But okay, anyway, uh, so We Can Save the World. It's a story about a disillusioned government worker whose job is to go clear out uh, rough sleepers and homeless people from the neighborhood he works at. On one of his nightly patrols, he, he comes across this particular homeless man as he's trying to run him out of the streets, right? Uh, this particular homeless man comes up to him and tells him that he's an extraterrestrial and that he tries to bargain and weasel his way out of things. And he tells him, uh, the, the government worker, that there's a doomsday device on Earth in Singapore and he needs his help to find the device, this army, and save the world. So that's the full story in a nutshell. I can so imagine the cross genres. It's like you have extraterrestrials, you have bombs, and then things are going to explode. And on the other hand, you have reality of those vexatious people who refuse to do as they are told and, and argue and argue the authorities, you know, like, you know, saying they are like sovereigns and so on. So imagine all this mishmash coming in. Uh, with no offense to those people who really believe they are sovereigns, of course. But so is that how this idea came about, Jayong? The idea came about, I think, okay, when you speak about that, right, I think comes what I'm going <clears> to <throat> speak about in terms of describing how the story came about there is like a very clear superficial way of describing it and then but the story that you just all this point that you just described it, the, the story thing, right it actually just comes from all of us as Singaporeans as people growing up in this very rigid environment there where you 
where there's so much structure, there's life is like constantly telling you that you need to do this, you need to do that, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. And I think all those things are, uh, are my lived experiences. So that sort of bleeds into the story. On the very superficial level, the story uh, came out of this idea of uh, restrictions of I don't have a lot of resources as a Singaporean filmmaker, as a Singaporean first-time filmmaker. Uh, if I wanted to make a, a movie that I really believed in, a comedy I really believed in, I might not have the... Nobody will have that, honestly. Nobody has the, the kind of resources uh, to play with where you can just do explosions wherever you want. You can do, do any kind of cinematography, any kind of uh, uh, locations. Um, so I worked around it. I went, okay, you know what? Since I don't have all those things, how do I tell a story, make a movie that will make sense, that will still look good, that will work? I can work around all the limited resources that I have. So the, the analogy that I love telling people is that uh, I had this idea, this make-believe scenario that, that I told my producers that if you guys came up to me and you told me that, dude, child, I have the Gimmo Hawker Center toilet the public toilet available for some dumb dumbass reason. I have it avail available. Uh, would you want to use it? Any sane director who has a sane story has you know uh, some uh, an idea of what what kind of story you have to tell. I might say, you know what? Obviously no. Like why are you even coming to me with this? Like you know what the story is about. Like I don't need Kim Hawker Kim Hawker Center's toilet. But then I went okay, but. What if I had a story that could go, oh, you're going to seriously give me, gonna give me the public toilet for like maybe two nights? You know what? I'll, let me do something with that. Let me, <laughs> let me see if I can change the scene. I can do some work, have fun with Gimo Hawker Center's public toilet. No, I'm just trying to imagine. This whole thing started because you asked yourself, what if I can shoot in Gimo public toilet? Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. For real. I'm not even kidding. I just went, let's just have fun. Like, like what? Like, I mean, it's movie making. We're not trying to save the world in a literal way like i'm not i'm not saving i'm not a brain surgeon let's just just take it wherever right, we want so, to go. so what happened next after that the story that came out of that was this whole idea that uh okay in order to make this work the larger philosophy has to be about everyday singapore the sites that we see as singaporeans uh you know you're walking you're walking on the streets the, all the landmarks that any singaporean can point to and go i recognize that i know what that's about i i think i know what it's about Park pavilion is a park pavilion. Uh, a park connector is a park connector. A hawker center toilet is a hawker center toilet. But what if there's more? What if the story brings you a journey where you walk into a hawker center toilet, you follow someone there, and then you think that you can corner a person there, and then you step in a toilet after, after the person, and no one's there. And you realize, oh my god, like there's a, path, there's a tunnel here, there's a pathway to some hidden underground bunker here. And this is the entrance. And then you go to, maybe you go tap on that, that disgusting soap dispenser that no one ever touches. It's like filled with grime. It's like, it's like, con like contains some like very suspicious looking like green soap. And then you tap on it and then stuff opens up. One of the toilet cubicles opens up. The wall opens up. Maybe the floor lowers into, into this secret underground bunker. And suddenly like, the world becomes a bit stranger, a bit more fun, a bit more, uh, a bit less Singaporean in that sense. Yeah. So then the story turned into okay, what if there are, uh, what if there are extraterrestrials? What if there were, uh, conspiracy theories? What if there were, uh, 
like underground doomsday cults. What if there was a clandestine government agency that was the, uh, set up specifically to monitor extraterrestrials there? Of course, there are there haven't been many. Hence, this government agency isn't very well staffed, isn't very well uh, well budgeted. Hence, they are a bit like Koya. Is this how that that story started out then? It is. It actually is. It started. It didn't start with uh, aliens. Actually, it started with all this. You know what's what's beneath. Like what's what what kind of nonsense can we get up to that Singaporeans might think they already know, but actually don't really know. But then we can just play make believe. Uh. Freelance Creative Exchange has undergone an exciting rebrand. We are now the Freelancer Nation podcast, your go-to destination for transforming your freelancing journey. Discover more at freelancernation.asia. That's freelancernation.asia. Okay, so so like two things come to mind, right? Number one is that there's always something, every time there's a strange thing, it always happens in the toilet. Like three quarters of the time. The second thing, <laughs> what the has second thing to is you, that, Sean? <laughs> no, and, and the second thing I'm thinking about is that in my mind, I'm just thinking, right, somewhere along the line, you must be thinking this is a budget issue, man, because if the weird place was like taking place in like a suite in the Shangri-La or something, there's no way you're going to be able to afford that. So <laughs> let's choose a public place that is free and yeah, that I don't to pay a location fee that's going to cost me an arm and a leg. Exactly. And, and that's a joy. Look, I'll come back to the film later because I find that this is incredibly interesting. But do you always like do think about your films in this manner? Like, you know, this, like, I just look at this occasion and, oh, this is, and, and you get these wild ideas. I'm always very curious about how other filmmakers' processes work because I'm actually curious about how the process works for yourself, like, like both yourself, uh, like both of you. Like, and I know, I know Sean has that, he's also a film and media professional as well, a director and writer yourself. But for me, it's always a case of, I love working restrictions, like, I mean, who doesn't love without, working without restrictions, right? But I find that for myself, the best ideas, the ideas for that tend to come a bit more uh, organic to me, that become that I actually find fun, come out of just lack of resources, uh, lack of, you know, all this, we have all this, we're just playing around with constraints. Uh, because with my previous project, uh, the web, uh, web, there was a web series I did called Neighborhood Watch Task Force. A big part of the idea actually came out of going, okay, I want to shoot a lot of stuff, a lot of material. Where in Singapore can I shoot the most material without getting in the way of everyday Singaporeans, without paying too much location fees, then I can really do whatever I want. I'm like, HDB void decks. So it's just the, the first level of HDB, uh, Singapore HDBs. And, and then I build a story from there. And then basically, I just went around, uh, went in the shooting process, uh, when we went when location scouting, right, all I did, all we did was find the best neighborhood to shoot in. So we ended up uh, going with uh, Jurong West. And literally, after a while, the construction workers knew us, the, the old ladies and old uncles who, who worked out every day uh, in the morning at 5 a.m., they knew us and they loved us. They would offer to buy us food. Uh, they would know that, oh, okay, the camera's pointing this way. They'll just get out of the way. And it's very sweet. And, and it really was like, a, like a, okay, there's construction, uh, construction going on here right now. So the visuals are not that nice. Let's move to another part of the neighborhood. It's just surrounding the entire Jurong West neighborhood, just in the void decks. So it became more like a, pro- uh, it became really like a community project. Right, <laughs> more than anything. Yeah, yeah, and it's very sweet. Uh, like it's really in a real way bringing people together. Not, not in a way. I mean, we all want the final product to bring people together, right? But just the shooting itself brought people together. 
uh, in a way that I didn't expect. I'm diverging from a topic. So yes, that's that's very often how I think about things. I love this way of um how you came up with this concept of having something very familiar to a lot of Singaporeans, uh, a lot of people who have lived in Singapore, and taking it and breaking everything down about it and just saying, no, it's no longer going to be familiar from uh, or not going to be what you expected out of it. But um, I also want to know what you think about, because I, I think this is something that a lot of uh, Singaporeans, when they're thinking of making a feature film or they're thinking of who their audience is going to be, there's this struggle for a lot of people is, I want to make a film for Singaporean people. But we do know that Singapore is a very small market, right? And and But we want as many people as possible to look at it and 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 be able to relate to it. So how much of that went into your process of creating a story, making it familiar to Singaporeans? And did the other side of the coin ever come in, which is, how can I bring this film to people outside of Singapore? Or did that even just cross your mind? Uh, oh no, the, I'm, I think this crosses my mind like all the time. Uh, in the conceptualizing of the story, in the conceptualizing of the execution, how should I... I mean, it's comedy, but there's so many ways, different ways to do comedy, right? There's so many ways to, different, to tell the story. Uh, so first and foremost, uh, love that question. Uh, and... The, love how you set it up for me <laughs> because right in the making of the uh, movie I think very you know what I'm gonna start by first throwing a question not a question but then sort of like a mini mini gripe I have that that is a concern but as as well as something that you know that I just have to so all Singapore filmmakers have to deal with which is that when I started thinking about the story right when you look at all the filmmakers that you love overseas, the South Korean filmmakers, the American filmmakers, the Italian neorealism, the French new wave, I suspect at some point, at no point in their careers were they ever asked, how, how will this movie travel overseas? And I suspect, I have a suspicion that sometimes that thought process uh, when applied to Singaporean films and Singaporean filmmakers, does hamper, does set us back a bit in terms of constantly thinking, okay, how will this story go overseas? Because at the end of the day, culture is something that comes from within. Like all these movies that we love about from US, from Hollywood, from South Korea, from Japan, they are a window to their cultures. They never, I don't think, like any of these filmmakers, this topic, I don't think Bong Joon-ho has ever asked even when he was struggling at the start with his first and second movies, right? He was ever asked, how will your movie reach, reach foreign audiences? I think there was always a... Of course, there's a, there's a pragmatic uh, reason for us asking ourselves that, like, like you mentioned, that you know, we have a very limited population, uh, population size, and uh, with, even within that population, you have all sorts of like uh, diversion groups and how do you reach all of them, right? So with that, I, I actually thought about it and I went, you know what? My answer is, I will do whatever I can to, yes, make sure that the story is as universal as possible. It's as human as possible. That is what will allow the story to reach overseas audiences. But beyond that, I'm going to focus on what makes this story true to myself, true, honest to Singaporeans, honest to the 
people that I rub shoulders with every day when I take the bus, when I take the MRT. This story should be true to these people because these are the, at the end of the day, this, I'm making a story in Singapore. Let's say we don't talk, take out the, the, the part of the equation where I'm making it for Singaporeans. I'm, living, I'm a Singaporean. I live in Singapore. I'm making a story in Singapore. The end of the equation, the equals, right? The, after you multiple, multiply, divide, do differential equation, you equals. It's Singaporeans. It should be a story for Singaporeans. And if it reaches overseas, uh, all the better. So then, of course, the question is, how do I reach these people and then and uh, like as many Singaporeans as possible, right? Then after it's down to, it's not like we can talk about philosophy all we want, but at the end of the day, it's all about execution. So then uh, my approach is that I've experienced a bit of uh, uh, working with comedy, thinking about uh, writing, writing, uh, writing funny material. But at the end, and a lot of times, right, what I realized about comedy is that, uh, and I think lots of people have realized, a lot of uh, masters have realized, is that it's always physical comedy that crosses boundaries. Because you don't need to, because language as much as we like to romanticize it, right? That, oh my, you, good storytelling should cross all boundaries, right? All language boundaries, right? That will always form a, a, be a barrier as for when it comes to comedy. Because there's, there are so many nuances there. There are so many, it's, if it's verbal comedy, it's all language-based. It requires people to understand the nuances of a language. And let's be real, Singlish is a very hard language to understand for most people. Who are not Singaporean. So even just English, just the whole idea of mixing up different languages, that's like screws people's, uh, most people's minds up. So then my answer was to focus on physical comedy. Like think Mr. Bean, think Stephen Chow. These are all like the physical comedy creates, right? Where, where it's like really quality, well thought through slapstick. It's good, it's slapstick, but it's not, it's not poor slapstick. It's not like, like low hanging fruit slapstick. It's like slapstick that makes you go, Wait a minute, wait a minute, this is dumb as hell. This is dumb as hell, but the thinking, making it dumb takes a lot of thought and careful, careful uh, curation. So I wanted to make, really focus on physical comedy to do all those things that I just uh, described. So, Jai, everything that you just said, now I think it makes sense why it's in the toilet, for one. But, uh, but, but more importantly, <laughs> I think you said, you said Mr. Stephen Chow and then Mr. Bean style comedy, right? So, uh, is that what we can come to expect from this film? It is. I uh, think Stephen Chow, I think physical comedy, in a Singaporean context, in, you know, Singaporeans are funny, but honestly, Singaporeans are so dumb. Like, all, so, so many of the things <laughs> that we do and say are so dumb that, that, you, the moment you take like five steps back and watch someone who's just going about their lives in a park, right? It's funny. It's so many things. But the problem often is that our lives are so busy that we always like we're always always like this close with another person. We don't get to we don't get to appreciate life from afar. We don't get to zoom out and chill out. And you will realize that you know what? We are actually a really really funny bunch. And all sometimes all it takes is just me putting a camera on people and. And I believe that I'm not even doing much. Honestly, as a director, sometimes I think, no, why I'm I why should I be interfering? Like, you know, get out of the actor's way, right? And the actors in this case being a lot of like Singaporean, Singaporeanisms. Let's watch. Huh? Like I love watching Singaporeans. I, I want to I really want to have Singaporeans enjoy watching themselves outside of, you know, caricatures, outside of just everyday, very honest living. 
and there's a lot of joy in so, there. So, you know, you've been working clearly on this film for a very long time now. Can you tell us about your the process, where you are right now in this project, for example, and how did you get to this point? Okay, so right now we are deep into uh, the financing uh, phase. Uh, I've, the script has been written and is uh, ready to be shot already. Uh, we did a little teaser trailer to be uh, we shot a little teaser trailer uh, for the purposes of uh, financing and uh, for and funding. So we are planning to shoot the film by uh, April twenty twenty four, and then after that, uh, hoping to release on a go on a, like a super speedy edit process and release by August for National Day the entire National Day period. So Chai Hong, you mentioned that this is your first feature film. And you have done, you know, what, what you were doing and comedy has made people laugh. You were successful in it. So why change now? What made you start with the feature film or you and your team? I think this is where I start to, you know, romanticize it a bit because I've always felt that, and I still feel that way, like in that movies, especially the kind that Brings you in, brings audiences into the theaters, into a darkened room, uh, where you can really feel each other's energy. You can laugh together, you can cry together. I think long form, that kind of long form storytelling that everyone gets to experience together as a crowd, as a group, that does so much more than short form storytelling. Because what I genuinely feel like, as I, I sometimes that I question myself, am I being very like old? like very old many about it. I've been very boomer about this sort of like uh, reminisce about a past that, you know, cinema is an institution that 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 really does the most for civilization and social media is the bane of all of us, a bane of society kind of thing. Like, am I am I being like that? But I genuinely think no, because I do appreciate short home, short home content. I do think the world of social media has opened the world up so, so much more that, you know, the... The, the thing that people love to say is today on social media, I can go on TikTok and view content by an Eskimo, by an by, by Alaskan uh, Inuit and find out about, you know, what life is like there. Uh, but at the end of the day, when it comes to pure like storytelling, storytelling that brings us, that engages our imagination, that makes us realize that in life is more than it. It is storytelling that engages our own our, our senses that we can walk because at, at the end of the day we are Singaporeans right uh, if you're in uh, New Yorker you're a New Yorker but I'm, it, within the context of Singapore you live breathe eat sleep in Singapore you're not no matter how much content you consume from overseas that's not going to change your life ex- every day the very tactile experience when we don't have the opportunity and which is what have, is, very, is happening, happening in Singapore right now that we don't have the opportunity to enjoy stories that are from around us, that illuminate the people around us, illuminate the members of society around, within our vicinity, that it doesn't engage our imagination within the confines of our own reality, right? That's why I romanticize it a bit, that I, I still look forward to doing that for for at least the, the people around me, lah, and hopefully more people can get to see that and then you know tell stories that they are just just show show Singapore in a, a different light. And which leads us nicely into the uncool thing to do 
uh, on this episode, which is you can support this film in the Indiegogo. Uh, you get uh, and help uh, Tao get this film out. Uh, with I mean, with some support through various means, funding, for example. Maybe you can tell us why did we choose this path to get this uh, film off the ground, and um, how else can we help you? Our brief history with uh between Singaporean filmmakers and Singaporeans, Singapore audiences in general, right, is that we are not sure whether Singaporeans actually want to watch Singaporean uh shows. We're not sure whether Singaporeans will ever be uh, truly interested in Singapore movies, Singapore storytelling, in the way that they're interested that in Hollywood, in Marvel, in, you know, all sorts of Hollywood temple uh, production, South Korean cinema, uh, South Korean waves. Uh, so most Singaporeans, uh, our views are very outward-facing, you know. Part and parcel of being a Singaporean, you know what? That's how we grew up with. I'm not going to complain too much about that. But then when we want to make make this movie, right? We really had to honestly ask ourselves, okay, we want to make this for Singaporeans, right? Do they want actually want to watch this? That's a big question. And we have no answer other than doing little things like, you know, A-B testing by taking it step by step. So the first step for us was to do a crowdfunding a teaser trailer. So basically, it's our way of making sure that we have good marketing and that it comes in phases. Right now, with a crowdfunding campaign, even before we made the movie, people know about the movie. Uh, there are influencers, friends, uh, friends, family, people who already have supported the movie in small, small, small ways. But at the very least, this seed has been planted. The hope is that by the time we actually finish making a movie and go on a large-scale marketing campaign, we don't have to cover as much ground as compared to if we didn't do all this at the start. So the crowdfunding, getting uh, audiences involved, it really is about making sure that, you know, giving them audiences, Singaporeans, uh, fellow Singaporeans, stake in the movie. They have a stake in the story. They have a, they, they buy in. They buy into this whole narrative and they would want the story to succeed in every way as well. So that's, that's a direction. Lah. And I have no idea whether this will work. The only thing I can say is that this hasn't really been tried before on such a scale. So at least if we try and we and it fails, uh, the next guy or, or next girl can know that, you know what, maybe this doesn't work. <laughs> and just don't follow in my footsteps. So optimistic, <laughs> child. <laughs> you know, when I look at your Indiegogo like now, now, right? You have like 80 people have supported you. Hopefully there'll be a lot more uh, when it comes to the closure. And, uh, and I wish you more success to get to your target. But how does it feel right now? Like, do you feel like it's eh, stress? I've got 80 stakeholders to answer to. Damn stress. So on the flip side, 80, so right now 80, right, is uh, actually there's a multiplication. So the 80 people who have purchased stuff. So, but very a lot of those are like, you know, it's like maybe 50 times 2 or like 20 times 4 because they buy, uh, they purchase like a single perk which has multiple tickets. So... Uh, so I'm, I'm saying this because yes, the answer is yes, the stress because it's actually more, way more than 80. So it's like a few, a uh, few hundred, I think thousand plus right now. If I, if my, my math hasn't failed me last time we counted. It's the kind of thing that I have to be comfortable with it because at the end of the day, the, if the movie really goes on to hit the kind of goals that we are hoping for, it's going to be way more than that thousand plus people anyway and sometimes what, what I do to calm myself down is that you know what at the end of the day 
the people are buying into this, at least the people have bought in so far, they are buying into this because they've seen uh, the stuff I've done before and they think, okay, this guy can make me laugh. Uh, I'm probably providing some value to their lives. Then if that's the case, I should just simply carry on doing what I'm doing and not think too much. Don't overthink it. Make sure that, you know, I'm the first, I'm the first audience as a, and I'm the, as a director, I'm the first audit point, point of contact as an audience. And if I think this is funny, then I'm putting the film out there and going, guys, uh, I think this is funny. Would you all please laugh at it? <laughs> so, to, so, to clarify, the, so to clarify, it says you have 80 backers, but actually your number is a lot more. Because I was about to ask you how many of the 80 were your like, mom and dad and your family, but I think now in 100 plus, we can safely assume that it's not just your mom and dad and your family that supported Indiegogo. Interestingly, my mom and dad have not supported it yet. It's one of those very Asian things, right, that I ve- I, I'm very comfortable with reaching out to like, friends uh maybe uh maybe one point of contact after friends yeah one but then you know people away, closest right? to you right the, are like the people like the parents right you know the asian parents who have watched you grow up and frowned upon my my choice of career at every point uh even though they, they are very supportive now i'm hesitant to ask for more. that's why when you were saying that my my thought process would be the parents saying oh young young which I brought you up until this point already that should be enough then go ahead and do what you need to do <laughs> good luck son go there's a saying that goes you never do business with your family and your friends <laughs> uh, and I guess that, that makes sense and on that note if you want to support uh, the Indiegogo of China you can scan this QR code that you see below for our audio only listeners on our Spotify and Apple uh, podcast and so on uh, you can check it out on the episode descriptions below. So, Chaiho, this uh, goes on to the end of November. What can your backers expect uh, if they you know, support you? So right now, uh, there are several tiers uh, in terms of uh, backing the campaign. If you back the campaign, I really wanted to get anyone who, who supported the campaign right to really be a part of the movie. So if you go on a campaign, you'll realize that if you back up to certain amounts, right, you can actually shape the movie to a certain extent. For example, there are, there's a tier where you can change the name of a, one of the supporting characters. You when you when you support a movie uh, uh, up to a certain tier, you can change the credit the, the font size of your of your name in the credits. I just wanted people to to mess around with the movie because I'm messing around. I'm having fun. Like I want you guys, if you support it, to join in the spirit of just messing around. Like. And I mean, one of the very, very high tiers that is admittedly a bit unachievable unless you are like a wealthy multimillionaire is that if you go up to like $10,000, right? You go ahead, change one of the main character's names. Tell me what name you're going to change to. Then I welcome the challenge of going, okay, so you want to change a character's name to like, to, I don't know, butt face. Hey, it's, it's happened like, before. People change the changes names. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Giving ideas, yeah, so, <laughs> and I think that that creates a different layer. Yeah, that dif- creates a different layer of like audiences engaging with movie. Yeah, that's right. So when you support, we can save the world. You're not only supporting it in the in the monetary sense. You are actually making your mark on the movie itself. There is the opportunity to do so. So you have to check out the Indiegogo, and uh, you know, deep in dig into the do- pockets a little bit and see how you can get a few tickets and make your mark. So it starts from $25 and it goes up to 10000 Yeah, yeah. What you're describing. Everything else you can read on our website. I should describe yeah, it more. And in all tiers, you get your names in the credit. So uh, I look forward to seeing 10 minutes of credits 
of just names coming through all your backers. <laughs> and we'll make the credits entertaining as well. Okay, That's my promise. We'll look forward to 10 minutes of animated, interesting credits that will go on to take every single vote a backer of Jayong. <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully it's that means if we, we honestly if we hit 10 minutes, we've had a really successful campaign. We hope for that. We hope It'll for be that. a good challenge. Okay, so maybe you can this uh, give us a few words, maybe three words, to tell us why we should support we can save the world and you know why why you chose those words. Okay. The three words I'm thinking of right now are uh empathy, uh joy and connection. I think empathy because I think at the end of the day, the story, We Can Save the World, it's actually, it's a story about empathy. It's a story that at the start of the, at the start of the movie, you have a protagonist that thinks that saving the world is about big things, about grand actions, about climbing the career ladder and then, you know, do, achieving, being someone as opposed to doing something. And by the end of the story, uh, we realize, the, the protagonist uh, realizes that uh Saving the world, it's not about all these grand actions, grand plans. It's about helping the person standing right in front of you. Even if he happens to look like a homeless man and he's telling you that he's an extraterrestrial. And to me, that's what saving the world really is about. It's not about all those big things. It's about empathy for the person in front of you. So hence, empathy, joy. Uh, because like I keep uh, mentioning, I think at the end of the day, life is meaningless uh, and you it will only have meaning if you do something about it you put effort into it you just go out and strive and try to do something with your life that's what brings meaning to all our lives so and for me i think i would like to bring joy to to people uh in small ways whether they laugh or not it's up to them laugh but then at the very least that's the the small things of just having fun at least if i can't make you have fun at least, you know, I'll let you watch me have fun so that you can live through my, you know, my experiences. And connection, uh, that uh, for the longest period of time, I've always felt that, you know, for myself, when I make movies, of course, I've done lots of like short films that don't maybe are very conceptual in nature, that are very high-minded. But at the end of the day, if I ask myself when I embark on this process of making a movie, I ask myself, what am I making, making this movie for? And because... It's not to earn money, right? Like, if I wanted to really earn money, I would try uh, gone to, into another career. Uh, and I thought about what do I actually care about? And I think what I really, really care about is about connecting with people. Uh, I, have, I love having, like, long conversations about thoughts, about ideas, about the world, about, about how, how we can have more fun and, you know, like, make everyone's lives a bit, little bit better. And... There's something I care about, about connection. So hence, the movie is about connection. It's about connecting the filmmaker, myself as a director, the kind of story that I want to tell with audiences. It's about connecting the audiences as they watch it with one another. Because with social media today, right, better people than me have, have theorized and written lots of literature on this topic. But I really feel that uh, we sometimes we are lacking uh, in the modern world, right? We are lacking that little bit of a connection with the people next to us. I, I'm guilty of it. You know, the, the tiniest things where you finish work, you go home, you just keep doom scrolling on your phone and then you don't connect with your parents and then your elderly parents, you, you have limited time with them, you don't talk to them, you don't talk to the person next to you. It's that lack of connection that I'm hoping uh, we can save the world or help uh, men a bit. Yeah. 
So hence, empathy, joy, connection. Let's go. So on that note, Chai Hong, uh, we're bringing it full circle and we're going to ask you this question that we ask every one of our guests that comes onto our show, right? You know our, our show is called Uncool. So can you tell us when do you think you were the most uncool and what would you say to that person if you had a chance right now? Was I ever cool? I feel like I was never cool. Hence, like my entire existence in art is uncool. So what, what do you think you're saying so to yourself the question, then? That's the type question, not because I think I'm cool. So by that definition, if I'm uncool all the time and I've never ever been cool and I never will be cool, uh, technically I'm just giving my advice to like current day me, like just whenever. So my advice to the very uncool version of me, do whatever you think will be right and trust that you'll keep walking and at some point the path will open up so thank you so much for your time chai hong all the best for your uh, project and uh, let's look forward to it next year once again if you want to support is indigo you can uh, check out the qr code in the description below just give us some support because it's cool to be uncool the indiegogo for we can save the world runs until the end of november so check it out now like this show then rate it five stars and subscribe to us on youtube spotify or wherever you get your podcasts Uncool is a podcast produced, written, and hosted by Sean Lee Winchong and co-hosted by Yenling Lo, co-produced by Raven Lim, and edited by Ray Ng. Uncool. It's cool to be uncool.